0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkopf, and I am in New York City, where it is springtime, which means it's cold and rainy. Uh, In Washington, D.C., we have with us Laura Rosenberger of the German Marshall Fund, uh, former top foreign policy advisor to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, How I wish she were national security advisor or something right now. (laughs) (laughs) Just Don't do this to me, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I wish, you know, <laughs> these are hard times. All we have is our, you know, our wishes and fantasies of how it might otherwise be. Um, and in beautiful London, England, we have Corey Shockey of <laughs> double, I, double S, who's enjoying the beautiful weather there and her great distance from Washington. Corey, I'd like to do what we do here, which is talk about some things that are happening in the world, uh, which you may or may not be prepared to discuss, but you always pick up <laughs> on them. Um, there you know, was a- David,
1: people are always surprised when I tell them that we generally don't know the topics in advance, because you want this to be a dinner party conversation amongst us. And I do actually think, in addition to the fact that all of us are friends, and so disagree respectfully and engage each other's ideas in a serious way. The fact that it does feel like a dinner table conversation is really a nice part of Deep State Radio.
0: No, absolutely true. And folks, when Corey says "please pass the salt," that means she <laughs> must <to> um, <laughs> um, There was an important election in the world yesterday in Ukraine.
1: Ukraine, and
0: you know, you know, Ukraine was a flashpoint for the past few years. Um, certainly, something that's been extremely of interest to the Russians as they sought to acquire it, a source of conflict and bloodshed. Um, and didn't get much coverage here in the United States, but there was actually an election. In the election, somebody who said Putin was an enemy, and we'll come back to that, won the election. He won the election by a landslide vote, like 73% or something like that to 20 something percent. Uh, And just as importantly, his opponent, who was Ukraine's sitting president, is gonna leave office because there was an election in Ukraine, which is not the way things happen in Russia. Oh, and you know, for those of you who are keeping score of these things out there, he's also the second Jewish uh, leader of a country outside of Israel uh, at the moment, which would not really be worth mentioning um, uh, if it weren't for the fact that Ukraine has been a hotbed of anti-Semitism for many, many decades. Um and, uh, and, uh, and it's
1: th- one of the major claims that the Russians mm-hmm. uh, one of the nastiest Russian claims about Ukraine
0: right so I you know pick up on that but I thought it was an interesting development
1: I have to say I Dan Twining the head of the International Republican Institute has a wonderful piece I think it's in foreign policy on this and you know um. It's so exciting to see a country that has been under as much strain as Ukraine has been under for the last 10 years, Russia's invasion, the seizure of Crimea, them fomenting the kind of physical violence in eastern Ukraine, um, and efforts to undercut and corrupt, like all of the things that the Mueller report talks about Russia attempting to do in the United States and succeeding in cyber, they do so much worse in real life, in the physical world of of seizing territory, of killing people, of undercutting good governance. And Ukraine has risen despite it. Ukraine has a lot of work still ahead of it. The fight against corruption needs to be taken even more seriously than it is. But The people of Ukraine did something beautiful for themselves and for all the rest of us, which is to remind us of the importance of taking politics and elections seriously. People got informed. They supported people um, who who didn't come from traditional political backgrounds because so many traditional politicians in Ukraine are corrupt or have been suborned by the Russians. Uh, The election, according to the election monitors, was free and fair. As you said, David, uh, President Poroshenko acknowledged he had lost and conceded the election. Parenthetically, Donald Trump wouldn't meet that standard. Um, and, And it's a beautiful reminder that all of us need to constantly work to meet the standards that the Ukrainians have met this last week. It's beautiful. It's hopeful. It it shows how determined they are to have a better future than they have had. Um, and people willing to step forward and take responsibility for leading the country. It's great to see. But Laura knows more about it than I do.
0: Well, I'm, I'm going to turn to Laura. And last episode... Laura tried on your um, uh, glittering tiara of optimism.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: and I'm going to see if she can find it upon herself uh, within herself to try on uh, Rosa Brooks's uh, thorny crown of entropy. Rosa's oh God. Not uh-huh. here for this, but let me, let me just give you two points and you may want to pick up on others. Um, one, uh, the new president of Ukraine, uh, has no experience in politics. Uh, and in fact, he was a comedian who was on a television show about he a teacher. He played the president on TV. Yeah. Right. Who A teacher who accidentally became president. And so we've had some experience with television personalities who become president, and that's terrible. Um, and then on top of that, a week ago, there were stories that were surfacing um, uh, that seemed to be credible at the time. And again, I don't I don't know anything beyond that uh, that suggested that the Russians, uh, uh, some some significant Russian oligarchs close to Putin, were actually supporting this guy. Um, and of course, even though he said Putin was the enemy, you know, you're never sure. Putin had been turning on Poroshenko, and you know, it's 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 a bit murky. So as 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 much as I want to share. Corey's optimism. I was just wondering if you have, you know, other qualifiers we should keep in mind.
2: Well, I'm going to largely share Corey's uh, tiara on this one, um, uh, but but to just try to, to put a thorniness on this, since you asked. Um, what I would say is, as with any political novice, it will be very important to see that he puts people around him who understand um, the system, who can help him achieve um, tangible policy outcomes. Um, I one of his advisors did lay out um, an agenda on a number of different fronts today, which uh, many of which were uh, very focused on kind of cleaning up corruption in the system, um, making sure that there was more transparency, really strengthening democratic institutions. I think those could all be very good and are very welcome if they are, in fact, done in the true spirit of anti-corruption and in the spirit of good governance and consistent with the rule of law. Um, We've occasionally seen those kinds of measures used to to clean house in ways that is aimed at sidelining political foes or gaining or, or achieving retribution against, um, against others. And I think that it will be really important to make sure that those measures are not undertaken in that spirit, but are undertaken in the spirit of actually strengthening Ukrainian democracy. Um, and I think that all signs at the moment point in that direction, but that's something to just ensure. Um, you know, on the question that you raised of the reports, last week about potential Russian interference and um, and favoring, uh, favoring um, one candidate over another, let me just uh, lay out a couple of different pieces. One is that given Ukraine's particular situation, um, essentially the fact that parts of its territory are occupied by Russia, that Russia has been... Um, using Ukrainian politics uh, to fight proxy battles for quite some time that many uh, Ukrainian officials um, have corrupt ties uh, to Russia or others. Um, the questions of Russian interest in Ukraine are, are very complicated in ways that it's not necessarily in, in other countries. Um, but I would say that the I personally um, viewed the reports uh, that came out last week about the the hacking, um, the supposed hacking and and um, released information uh, with a bit of skepticism. Um, they came from sources that I think weren't without some potential motivation um, to drive a particular agenda, um, and they weren't clearly corroborated in ways that gave me confidence. So I'm certainly not yet uh, willing to to put any uh Any sort of faith in, in those reports. and as Corey said, the international monitors have all um, really indicated that the election um, proceeded on a free and fair basis. and so absent any confirmation from independent monitors or others um, who were who really don't have a vested interest um I, I believe that that in fact um, this this result is exactly um, as they have said it is.
0: Um, okay. Well, you know. Okay, I'm going to be optimistic on this one. It's left to you, David. It's up <laughs> no, to
1: you, David. No, to you to put Rosa's thorny crown of entropy on.
0: Uh, no, I'm I'm going to I'm going to actually sort of tilt on the optimistic side on this one. I re, you know I remain skeptical <laughs> of presidential <laughs> candidates who were TV stars, um, <laughs> and and this is a pretty complicated situation. And I think there's a lot of corrupting Russian money. In Ukrainian politics, and so um, I have been disappointed there in the past by lights of hope. So let's see what happens uh, this time. But I am committed to finding something that can introduce Rose's thorny crown of entropy into this discussion. So let me move to a different country where there's been a couple of developments recently, Uh, uh, Corey, and that's uh, Iran. Uh, Two developments that have occurred in the past couple of days include uh, the appointment of a even more hardline uh, guy to lead the uh, uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard um, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of sort of nasty anti-American rhetoric uh, to go around that. And then today, the day that we're recording this, which happens to be Monday, uh, the United States making the decision to eliminate waivers for anybody who was getting oil from Iran, which includes a number of countries, um, notably China, uh, and which could have the effect of bumping up world oil prices substantially, although it was done in conjunction with the Saudis and the Emiratis uh, in an, a, 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 at least a, a, a stated attempt to try to offset any uh, problems there. But it does look like every single week the Trump administration is trying to do something to ratchet up tensions with Iran, or perhaps they're just ratcheting up pressure on a bunch of bad guys. Which is it? Uh,
1: both. Um, uh, I, the way you introduced it made it sound as though the uh, Iranians said a bunch of nasty anti-American stuff and appointed somebody even more extreme as the head of the IRGC And then the U.S. uh, took the choice uh, to move to zero Iranian oil on the market. Yeah,
0: I I didn't mean to sound that way. I just these are just two things that happened to happen. Yes, they
1: happened. They are they may be connected, but they are not sequential. Um, So I think the um, the extremism in Iran is. A slight difference of magnitude, not a difference in type. The IRGC is already incredibly bad. uh, And you know my longstanding description of success of America's foreign policy in the Middle East should be if Qusim Soleimani cannot sleep safely outside of the territory of Iran. And we're a very long way away from that being true. Um, So I'm largely indifferent to the appointment of a new head of the IRGC, and I'm largely indifferent to anti-American statements by the Iranian government. What I am nervous about, though, is exactly as you suggested, David, the um, Trump administration is continuing to ratchet up the pressure on Iran, and I fear they are not thinking through quite as carefully as they ought to, the second and third order effects of those turns of the screw? For example, are we and our allies in the region actually prepared to forcibly keep the Straits of Hormuz open if the Iranians should start targeting shipping uh, going through there in retaliation for us freezing them out of international oil markets? Uh, What might the Chinese do Uh, In trade talks with the United States, if we ramp up the cost of oil to them, uh, is it really in our interest to give the Saudis and the Emiratis more leverage over American foreign policy right now? Um, What will it do to the Indian economy if we have a long, hot summer of prices going up? Uh, And there may even be domestic political effects on the American economy of doing this. And uh, it's not a foreign policy issue, but I would think that the Trump administration is at least self-interested enough to know that the president's strongest card going into a re-election campaign is how how well the American economy is doing at the moment. So they don't appear to have thought their way through any of those things. They appear to be narrowly focused on forcing Iranian capitulation to a deal over the nuclear weapons program, sterner and stricter on Iran than the deal that the Obama administration got.
0: You know, uh, you know. Let me and en- enter something we seldom do here, which is a sixty-second snark-free zone. Um <laughs> and 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 just sort of comment that listening to you lay out that very thoughtful response, um underscores, you know, to me, sort of I, I don't know, it makes me feel nostalgic for the way I sort of came up in the world of foreign policy, where there was a broad array of people in foreign policy in both the democratic and republican parties who on most issues on 9 out of 10 issues or on sort of 90% of each issues would actually agree and where if in a national moment of of crisis if 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 you know um Laura Rosenberger or or Corey Shockey were the national security advisor you'd get the same response or 90% the same response and we seem to have sort of drifted out of that into an area where it's binary and if one side's for it the other side's against it and i just wanted to say you know it doesn't mean we can't return to this area because they're sensible people on both sides now laura if you disagree and you think Corey's out of her mind say so
2: Uh, I, I do not disagree. I, and I do not think Corey is out of her mind. Those are two separate questions, but I, I don't think either of <laughs> Thank is true. you both. Wow. Thank wow. You both.
1: <laughs> we can easily get a quorum on the former. The latter. What was Dorothy Parker's great line? Uh, uh, intelligent, I grant you. Mad, I'm not saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hopefully, David, I, I was outside of the the 60 second. Um, start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, look, I I think that if we if we look broadly speaking, I mean, correlate on a number of different areas where what the administration has done here is going to undercut what we are trying to achieve more broadly. Um, I think that includes both with Iran. Um, but also, um, you know, she, she pointed to, to China specifically, um, you know, and I think that um, when, we are, um, when we are putting some of our, um, you know, allies in Northeast Asia in a, in a um, challenging position here, um, that is not helpful for some of the broader consensus we're trying to build on China, in particular, um, you know, South Korea. Um, is is a country that's um, trying, you know, that where our alliance is very much built on um, on not just our security relationship, but our values. But uh, South Korea's economy is very dependent on China, and they're walking a, a fine line there. Um, and Moon Jae-in has uh, been trending a little more in the direction of of China, especially vis-a-vis. North Korea policy interests, um, and so I think it's a it's a pretty. I mean, candidly, it's a, just a dumb move, um, but it's going to have real, serious consequences for us in a whole range of different areas.
0: Well, um, let's just pick up on that and and talk a little bit about um, the president's great success on and in North Korea. Um because another thing that seems to have happened in the past week. Um <laughs> we're was,
1: out of a snark free zone, right? I can right. that, that, David. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: where where Kim Jong-un, who's got a just an exquisite sense of irony uh and timing, uh announced sort of roughly at the same time that the Mueller report was coming out, that they had just tested a new weapon and, and, you know, uh, you know, I think this is gently turning the knife. Can you turn a knife gently into Trump? Um, And so I just, you know, I'd like to get your guys take on it. Let, Let me reverse the order of asking these questions and go to Laura, who has spent probably more time than she's wanted to dealing with North Korean issues. Definitely more time than I've wanted to.
2: Um, So I'm going to offer a slightly contrarian view, possibly, on on North Korea and the tests last week, which is I think it has absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump or the United States. I think this is Kim Jong-un doing exactly what Kim Jong-un said he was going to do, which is to continue to develop his uh, nuclear and missile programs. Um, He has never said he's going to stop that. Um, There is some, you know, fuzzy... uh, Tacit agreement on certain kinds of freezing of certain kinds of testing, um, but by and large, um, you know whether it's through uh, you know production and movement and and testing of different kinds of missile systems or engine systems, uh, whether it's through apparent continued activity at the nuclear sites. Um, Kim Jong Un has continued on his um, development and um, enhancement of his ballistic missile and nuclear programs um, undeterred. And I think the test last week was just another iteration of that. Now the decision to publicize it certainly was aimed at getting some attention around it. Um, But I think the test itself um, is really just Kim Jong-un doing exactly what he said he's going to do. And that's the problem is I think in, in Washington and certainly in the Trump administration, or at least certainly in the president's head, we're living in a different world, uh, which is a world in which Kim Jong-un is his friend and Kim Jong-un has agreed to do much more than what he's actually agreed to do. Um, And that somehow we have, even though maybe we haven't gotten agreement on a whole bunch of things, we have, you know, maybe kind of stopped this program at a point where it will help make us safer, um, and I think that that is uh, entirely wrong, and it is dangerous for us to believe
0: that. So, that's my take. Well, that's a that's a informed take, Corey. Uh,
1: I largely agree with Laura. I think the most, the two most dangerous things about North Korea policy in the time of the Trump administration are both of the Trump administration's making. Uh, The first was uh, turning so much glaring attention and so many threats of, of preventative or, yeah, preventative attacks on the North Korean program when the The constraint on American policy always has been and always will be the vulnerability of Seoul, South Korea, to conventional weapons attack by the North Koreans. And by turning so much attention to the North Korean nuclear program, we undercut extended deterrence because suggesting that it makes a difference whether we can be targeted in whether we will defend South Korea and Japan. What the president, what the administration should have done from the start was take Tom Schelling's advice and say American policy since 1953 has been an attack on South Korea or Japan or any of our other allies in the region um, will result in a military retaliation by the United States against North Korea, and the leadership of North Korea will not survive that retaliation. That it doesn't matter what kind of weapons are used. It doesn't matter. Like, instead, they undercut extended deterrence by being so scared of this new development when they actually had nothing to offer to were willing to offer nothing to get it to stop. And the second um, big mistake the Trump administration made this is the one Laura already rightly outlined, which is, the North Koreans never said what the Trump administration is claiming is the agreement. They didn't get it verbally. They didn't get it signed on paper. They, The North Koreans have never said it. What the North Koreans have said over and over and over is that they support the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, by which they mean all American forces to have left defending South Korea. And and so you know uh, it's a circus and pompeo i think incredibly shrewdly uh persuaded steve vegan to be a special envoy in order to do that far side cartoon remember when the two bears are in the crosshairs and the one bear starts pointing to the other i think pompeo wanted vegan in the mix in the hope that smart, decent, capable Steve Began would be the one that the president kicks overboard. But uh, the North Koreans are trying to trying to keep the focus on Pompeo by suggesting now that they won't accept him as an interlocutor either.
0: By the way, there's a lot of that going on in this administration. You know, I it just reminds me of going back to the Iran issue that um, there was a discussion about the group MEK, um, and and uh, Pompeo made a statement slamming John Bolton for once having um uh, had an alternative view saying you know well the president and i are here and bolton is someplace else and i was thinking in no other administration would that happen without like <laughs> you know like major and it's the same it's like you say well steve Began's a decent guy and i'm like well he's finished you know that's not, that's not going that's 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 not going to last we've got a couple of minutes here and i want to i want to turn to a more abstract issue i'm going to use something to get us uh, into it that's less abstract, and that is this episode's. Episode, it was going to air on uh, Wednesday night, start airing on Wednesday night into Thursday, as we do, although our, our subscribers will perhaps listen to it sooner. But um, the, uh, the big news on Wednesday, I can tell you, even though it's Monday, is that Vice President uh, Joe Biden is going to announce that he's running for president. Um, and, you know, he's laid the groundwork for this. And even today and Monday, he's started taking money for the campaign. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat and sort of of the view that I will support whoever the Democrat is, provided it's not Tulsi Gabbard or Bernie Sanders. Um, and, and, um, <laughs> so, I mean, there may be a few others in there. There's some people who are actually running for president that I've never heard of. But, um, but the, the 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 Biden candidacy raises a question that I want to deal with sort of in its abstraction, and that is Biden will enter the race with sort of more cumulative foreign policy experience than all the other candidates added up um, um, and, and on the democratic side, certainly. And he will play this up as a plus. And you know, we've just had a conversation that's taken us from, uh, you know Ukraine and Russia to Iran, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, China, North Korea. And you guys have been very fluent on this because you are professionals. Uh, but we also talked about a Ukrainian president who has no experience in government and foreign policy. Um, and there are a number of people in the Democratic Party who are running for president, like Donald Trump did, by the way, like um, Barack Obama for the most part did, like George Bush <laughs> did, like Bill Clinton did. Who, like Jimmy Carter did, like Ronald Reagan did, who have no experience whatsoever in foreign policy. And so let me pose the question first to Laura and then to Corey, does it matter?
2: Well, I think as in so many areas of, of policy and governance and decision-making, um, I think that it's important to have a broad framework understanding of the issues. Um, I think that it's important to understand what people's instincts are, what their worldview is, what their judgment is, essentially. Um, do I think that every uh, presidential candidate um, or every nominee needs to be conversant on you know, every crisis around the world at every given moment? No, that's what they have really good advisors for. It really matters who they surround themselves with. Um, and it really matters uh, what their general sort of directional vector is. Um, Does that mean that, you know, somebody with no experience um, is is necessarily my preference? No. Um, Does that mean that somebody with the most experience is necessarily the best? No. Um, I think it really comes down to um, kind of looking at the whole picture um, and again, really understanding what their general, I mean, I think the gut piece is really important here. Um, And, you know, in so many instances, when I was in the situation room with President Obama, many of the challenges that come across the president's plate aren't ones where the government has actually sort of previously encountered that same situation. Um, And so, you know, having um, a sense of somebody's uh, judgment and and where, where their instincts are, I think, is as important along with who they put around them.
0: That sounds very, very sensible, so, Corey.
1: I am locked and loaded on this one, David. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so um, recall that Sarah... Palin fought Joe Biden to a standstill on foreign policy in the debates in the 2008 election. Okay, Robert well that, that's Gates, a
0: pretty that's a pretty strong blow, and I think he should not <laughs> announce his candidacy now that you put it that way. Robert
1: Gates says in his memoir that Joe Biden's been wrong on every foreign policy issue in the last 19 years. Um. So yes, he has had lots of foreign policy positions, that has not created good judgment in him. As Walt Whitman says in Leaves of Grass, wisdom cannot be passed from one who has it to one who doesn't. Um, And so I wouldn't, you know, it is a Washington fallacy that because you've been in important jobs that you are qualified for those jobs or learned meaningful things from those jobs. It's the conflation of being in a job with thinking you deserve that job. Um, And I think uh, our federal government would be so much more deserving of the American public if people would have the humility to realize that that they're not the same thing. Uh, So... I am not wild about Joe Biden as the foreign policy candidate. I actually think there are a lot of Democratic candidates who have good judgment, and I am resigned to voting for whichever Democrat gets the nomination, because even Joe Biden, much as I may ridicule him, I do not consider a danger to the republic, and I consider the sitting Republican president a danger to the republic.
0: Wow! Um, just before we we go here, Laura, uh, I, I, you know I, you sort of ask where wisdom uh, comes from, or that's implicit in 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 Corey's question. And uh, would you join me in saying that it comes from an education that allows one to quote from the Far Side and Walt Whitman within five minutes? <laughs>
1: I curtsy my thanks to you, David. That's that may be the finest compliment I've ever had.
2: Thank you. Mom. It is quite a talent.
0: No, it's 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 a real gift. But it's you know it's a gift because it makes everything that Corey says accessible. But it's also a gift because it shows enough reading and range of interests to suggest that she might care about something outside the policy bubble. Um, and I'm sure she would have been happy to throw in a St. Louis Cardinals reference. Um,
1: well, yes, know. our closer was in triple digits every pitch he threw in the closing of the Mets series. Thank you for asking, David.
0: See, do um, I, 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 you want to? Some sort of Pittsburgh equal time there, Laura. <laughs> you
2: know that's that's okay. I I'm content. They're leading
1: the National League Central. She
0: doesn't it is even have
2: true. To. It is in fact true. Helped by a five-inning game on Saturday, cut short by some significant rain. Um, so, yeah, <laughs>
0: well, I was I was hoping you. I was hoping you would. Bravo, talk about the Laura. Fact, Bravo. I was hoping you would talk about the fact how the Pittsburgh Steelers seem to be leaving the NFL slowly, one piece well, at a yeah, time. we,
2: you know, we don't have to go there right now. I thought we were going to end on a happy note.
0: It, for, for Patriots fans everywhere, it's a happy note. Oh, stop so oh.
2: You just go floating in your, you know, cheating-led world, and it's fine.
0: Uh, I'm somehow, <laughs> somehow... That, that, that doesn't <laughs> somehow that doesn't hurt as much as you might think it does. Um, um, well, folks, we're at the end of another episode of Deep State Radio, where we take you everywhere and um, in many different ways. And I hope that you have enjoyed as much as I have this conversation with Corey Shockey and Laura Rosenberger who um, uh, we, you know are are regulars here, and one of the reasons why I think. Doing this show is always the highlight of my week because I learn a lot just listening. Um, I hope that you will join us again next week. I hope you'll go to the DSR network to uh, not only listen to our shows, but here's an idea. Go to the place where it says become a member. Click on becoming a member. Spend a few bucks. Become a member. Help support all of this stuff. Trust me, there are not a lot of places you can go out there for smart foreign policy and national security analysis um, that is uh, funny, amusing, quotes the far side, Dorothy Parker, and Walt Whitman, and, uh, is very, very inexpensive, um, is bipartisan, um, and tries to deal with important issues, even if that is not what the mainstream media is dealing with at the time. So, dsrnetwork.com, become a member, and join us again next week. Thanks very much, guys.